Corinthians chapter 1, we'll begin reading in verse 1. When you got it, say so. It says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there, there be no divisions among you, <clears throat> Excuse me, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's house, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Father, thank you so much for this day, Lord God. Thank you for your word that is true. Thank you for your goodness toward us. Thank you for your mercy and thank you for your kindness, God. Thank you for these beautiful reminders this morning of what you did for us on the cross of Calvary, Lord. Thank you for reminding us of where we would have been had it not been for your amazing grace that rescued us. Thank you for delivering us, Lord God, from the depravity of sin and bringing us into the marvelous light of your kingdom, God. I pray this morning that our ears would be open in this place and even those who are joining online and that we would hear what you are saying to us, your people. May you be glorified in us, Lord God. We pray this all in Jesus' good name and everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you don't have an outline, if you don't have an outline, raise your hand and the ushers will be sure to get you an outline. We want to be sure that you're able to follow along. Just keep your hand up and they'll get you one. I want to be sure that you're able to follow along as we continue in the scriptures this morning, as we continue in God's word. We are beginning a new series here, and this new series is called Church Function, Church Function. You saw the video that was up there. There is some um, redefining that is, I think, taking place in our days regarding what the church is, what the church is supposed to be about. And if you look at your outline there and you join me in the introduction, we are living in a moment where our values are being questioned. Our mission is being hijacked and our identity tested, 
And as the church, we cannot allow the world to define us, shape our values, or direct our mission. Let me say that again. As the church, we cannot allow the world to define us, to shape our values, or direct our mission. And what, 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 is, what is happening in the moment, and, and this has been especially over the last couple of years, that you have seen so much division within the church about who we are. About, about what we are supposed to be doing, about what we are supposed to be about. And as I shared with you earlier on this year, a couple of times I mentioned it during sermons that I preached, and I'd be preaching through the book of 1 Corinthians. And so what we're going to do for the next few weeks is we're going to walk through, when I say few, I mean few, like a lot of weeks, we're going to walk through the book of 1 Corinthians line by line, and we're going to look at what the apostle Paul is communicating to the church of Corinth. We're going to learn what the church should be about, what the church is meant to be about in the midst of everything that the Apostle Paul is going to communicate to the church. Now, I want to go back really quickly, and I want us to look at verse 4 here and just read down to verse 9. <clears throat> because before I tell you a little bit more about Corinth, I want you to see what the Apostle Paul says about this church. He says, I thank God, I thank my God always concerning you. For the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. And so the first thing that we see is that the Apostle Paul is thankful for the church of Corinth. He is not just thankful, but he thanks his God always. So whenever he goes into prayer, whenever he goes before the Lord, he is thankful to God for this church because of the grace of God which was given to them. And he says in verse 5 that you were enriched in everything. By him in all utterance and all knowledge. This church was a church that was blessed by the Lord. God had manifested his grace unto them. Look at verse 6. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. What is the testimony of Christ? It is the fact that Jesus died and he rose again. And our lives are a reflection of either that truth or our lives are a denial of that truth. Come on, somebody. Our lives either bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus or our lives deny and call into question the resurrection of Jesus. As we sang that song a moment ago, right? I mean, when Minister Hector and I talk about worship and we talk about that particular song in particular, I'm always like, bro, you got to do that part. I'm like, you got, I'm like if you don't do any other part of the song, you got to do that part. Where would I be? Where would I be if you didn't save me? Where would I be if you didn't redeem me? See, when I think about those words, I realize, man, I would have been out there doing other things. Come on now. My, my passions were for other things. My desires were toward other things. And because of the redeeming work, because of the resurrection of Jesus, because of the power of the gospel, my life is no longer on that trajectory. Come on now. My life is no longer lived for those things. My life is lived for the glory and honor of God. My appetites have been changed because of what? That is the testimony of Jesus Christ. That is the reality that I have encountered the Lord. Can I tell you what the problem is going on? right now in the church today, one of the greatest issues is that we don't have people sitting in our pews that are truly born again. Come on now. 
We have people who come to church. Pastor Glenn talked about it last week. I've been hitting it for a while. But we have people who come to church because church is the thing to do. Come on. Because church is the religious thing we got to do. Because church is something that we learned at some point in our life we should participate in. But the question is, is the testimony of Jesus Christ really working and operating in your life? Have you been born again? Have you experienced the life-altering encounter with the Almighty God? Have you been delivered and set free by the power of the Holy Spirit? Or are you still playing around and living in sin? Are you still living like that old person was? Are you still living that life, still still playing over here? Talking about, I love Jesus, but over here playing around like, oh, no, 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 wait a second. There's got to be a testimony of Christ that is there. And what Paul is saying is the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. The power of the gospel was made manifest unto you. He goes on in verse 7. He says, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. What we'll talk about in a moment is that the Apostle Paul, and you can write this down if you're taking notes, but um, the book of Acts chapter 18 is where you see the Apostle Paul who spends time in this place called Corinth. And when he spends time in Corinth, he spends a year and a half there teaching these people. And so obviously as he's teaching them, he has taught them about the revelation of Jesus Christ that will come looking forward to the second coming. They were in the mindset that they were living in the last days. They were in the mindset that they would see the coming of Christ in their days. Every generation that lives until the coming of Christ should live as though Jesus is going to return in their days, in their time. They were waiting for the revelation of Jesus. Verse 8, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he makes it clear that they are being kept by God Almighty. He is going to make them blameless. Minister Hector pointed towards that during our worship time, that God is going to, that that he is making us blameless before his presence. In verse 9, we'll come back to this toward the end of the sermon, but verse 9 said, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We, not just, not just you, not just me, but we have been called into fellowship. It's a partnership. So when I, when I read these words, you, you're thinking Corinth was, was the place to be, amen? <laughs> that's the church. That, 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 that's the church you want to be at and you want to be part of. But let me just tell you a little bit about Corinth. The church of Corinth, you can look at this in your outline. The church at Corinth was a carnal, worldly, immature church. Wait a second, Bishop. Those are just all some great things that you just said were, yeah, yes, it is true. These are all true things. And nonetheless, they were a carnal, worldly, immature church. <clears throat> I think we have a map. Do we have that map available? I want you to see where Corinth was so you can kind of see where the Apostle Paul's whole journey, this is his second missionary journey that he went on. And so as we, as we see here, he's moving and he goes, you know, he starts over here and he moves all the way to this place over here. And so you see over there in that corner, right there, he's in Corinth. Corinth is in the present day Greece. This is Turkey over here, the present day, and a little bit further that way is, is Italy. And so what we have is the Apostle Paul is here in this place, Corinth, 
And, and, I, and I, I look at this, and I want to tell you something. We went to Italy a couple of years ago, and when, I, and when I think about all of this area where the Apostle Paul went, my heart breaks when I, when, when I look at this. Because we have a map of where the Apostle Paul walked. We have a, a map of every place where the Apostle Paul went, planted a church, encouraged a church, built a church, where, the, where, where, where there was so much stuff happening. When we were in Italy and we came into Rome and as we were on this tour bus and they were talking about the, the cathedral of Paul and the cathedral of Peter, tears were welling up inside of me. And then when we came to this, to, to this great place, where, which is a huge place for the Catholic people, as we get there to this huge cathedral, they, they, they talk about this, this um, statue of the Apostle Peter, how the feet of this statue, the toes are no longer there because people have to walk by and touch the toes of a statue. My heart was broken because I look at this and I'm like, wait a second. Do you think Christianity dominates any of these places right now? See, church, and this, this is why this is heartbreaking. And this is why we have to know our function. Because if not, you know what we'll have? We'll have something like this. We'll have a line of where the church was, but the church no longer is. Where the church at one point was, was moved by the power of God, where the Spirit of the Lord was manifesting greatly, where the Spirit of God was doing great and mighty things, and yet there is no other than the, the historical maps that we have, other than some, some places that still remain, other than that, where is the church of Jesus Christ in these areas? It's because we lose our way. We get lost in the wrong things. This church was a carnal church. It was a worldly church. It was an immature church. And as the Apostle Paul addresses these issues, this is in your outline, we will see what the church is meant to be. So through the lens of what we shouldn't do, we're going to see what we should do. Through the lens of what we shouldn't be, we're going to see what we should be, what God has always intended us to be. We're going to see that. The Apostle Paul makes some things crystal clear. This letter is actually, even though this is 1 Corinthians in our Bibles, this is actually really 2 Corinthians. The reason why is because you'll see later on as we walk through this book, the Apostle Paul references another letter that was written to them. We don't have that first letter that he wrote to the church of Corinth, but this is the second letter. And this letter was probably written around 54, 55 AD. So this is giving you a little bit bit of background on the church of Corinth in this letter that is being written. We obviously know that the author is the Apostle Paul. He is writing it to this church, and he is addressing, you remember we just read a second ago about a woman by the name of Chloe. So apparently, someone from Chloe's house came and told the Apostle Paul, hey, there's some things that are going on in our church in Corinth. You know, the place you spent a year and a half, there's some stuff that is happening here that you need to address. There's some things that need to be dealt with in this. And so, last thing in your outline there is, it is important for us to consider if a church that is only 25 years after Jesus ascended has these kind of issues, how many issues do you think the church of today will have? <laughs> Let that sink in for a second. This church is only like five years old, really. And 25 years after the resurrection of Jesus, if you think 30 A.D. is the time that Jesus died, resurrected, 33 A.D., somewhere around there, this church is about 20, 25 years old. And so if they had these type of issues, what kind of issues do you have, do you think we're going to have today? As well, we have to wrestle with this fact. Check this out now. 
Just as in Revelation, when Jesus rebuked five of the seven churches, he still called them his church. So all the mess that we see here, Jesus doesn't abandon us. Someone say amen, praise the Lord. <laughs> amen, praise the Lord. I was going to actually entitle this message, uh, A Mess Worth Dying For. Hallelujah. That this series is going to be that. Because really when you look at Corinth and when you read through it, it's like, man, these people are a mess. And yet Jesus died and shed holy blood for these people. He doesn't stop calling them his church. He doesn't stop calling them his family. He continues to be devoted to them. What does he do? Through the apostle Paul, he comes to them in love and grace and mercy. He rebukes them. He calls them to repent them to repentance. He redirects them and guides them. That is what the apostle Paul do- that's what God does through the apostle Paul here. It's the same thing that should happen for us today. We don't just, we, we, God doesn't just abandon us. And here's what I'll say. While there is no excuse for carnality in the life of the follower of Jesus, we can never discount how far-reaching the mercy and grace of God are. And while we are called to judge the house, final judgments are in God's hand and God's hands alone. Listen, y'all, we're supposed to look at each other's lives And if we see a brother or sister that is walking in sin, living in sin, we are to call them to repentance. We are to call them to account. We're not to gossip behind their backs. We're to come to them in love and grace. We're supposed to let them know. We are supposed to judge the fruit that is coming out of our midst. We are supposed to. Don't let this lie, oh, you should not judge. No, that's, that's unscriptural. That's not what Jesus was talking about. You're not supposed to make final judgments, but you better be a fruit inspector. You need to look at your brother's and sister's life. You see pride in their life, you need to call them out. Come on now. You know, it's like that brother or sister that has bad breath. Man, if you love them, you're going to let them know. Come on now. Even though you don't have bad breath, you may not, you may, you may not think you do. Come on now. Go on ahead and pull out a piece of gum or something to help, help a brother out, help a sister out. Don't leave them walking around with halitosis hurting people. Come on now. If you love, right, if you love somebody, you're not going to let them walk around. They got something on their face. Be like, hey, they're going to walk by me. Someone else will tell them. No. Show love, right? It's the same thing with our Christianity. It's the same thing with our walk. If somebody's got a foul mouth, don't let somebody else tell them about it. Let them know, hey, man, what's up with that? That, that, That's not a godly vocabulary. Come on. Someone's, Someone's talking to you about stuff they're watching or stuff they're doing or stuff they're listening to that doesn't honor and glorify the Lord. Don't wait for the pastor to find out because guess what? I probably won't. Pastor Aldo probably won't find out because they, they probably not going to do that in front of us. Hello. But when you find out as a brother, as a sister in love, hey, come on, let, let's talk about this. Are we living for the glory and for the honor of the Lord? We're supposed to judge the inside of the house, but final judgment, here's the thing, final judgment is not up to me. At the end of the day, listen, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be surprised in a bad way. They don't repent. They don't turn from their sin. Apart from me, I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. And then there's, there's, there's God's grace, right, that reaches us, that ministers us. So that's why we love each other. That's why we care for one another. But let me say this. This is what I want you to think about this morning. Y'all know I haven't preached in a while, so this is just my introduction. Hallelujah. <laughs> Y'all praying, Bishop, stop not preaching for a while. Here's what I want you to think about this morning. A carnal church cannot make a spiritual impact in the world. A carnal church 
cannot make a spiritual impact in the world. The reason why the Apostle Paul is communicating to the church of Corinth, it is not so much just for themselves, but it's for the mission that they've been called to. They've been called to be a light that shines in the midst of darkness. They've been called to be salt in the midst of the earth. They've been called to be ministers of life and light. They've been called to be the testimony of Jesus Christ. But if you are a carnal person, if you are a carnal church, you are not going to make the impact in the world that needs to happen through the church. So the first thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, our values must be Christ-centered. Our values must be Christ-centered. Let's look at verse 10 and verse 11. And so the Apostle Paul, he transitions here, and he goes from letting them know all of the good stuff, and he dives right in with them. And he says, now I plead with you, I beg you. He 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 is making an emphatic plea with them, letting them, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. And that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. There was some divisions. There was some intense debates that were apparently, (coughs) excuse me, that were apparently going on. In the church of Corinth, they were having some issues. And their their issue in the beginning here is that their values were misplaced. They weren't valuing things right. So he pleads with them what? By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you all speak the same thing. One of the most important values the church must maintain is a Christ-centered unity. There has to be a Christ-centered unity. The way that you think, the way that you feel, it is not uniformity. We're not all going to see every single thing in life the same exact way. But when it comes to this book, when it comes to the way that we are living for the glory of God, when it comes to the way that we are serving the Lord, there's got to be unity of mind. There's got to be, we have to have the same testimony is what the Apostle Paul says, that our testimony would be the same. What's, what, what does it mean to have the same testimony? Man, we all know that we are saved by grace through faith. We're not saved because of our good works. We're not saved because we're good. We are, we are a people that have that same testimony. Where would I be if it was not for you? We are a people that don't just sing those words, we live those words. We live those words. Those words are real in us. Those words motivate us. Those words move us in the mornings, even on the days that we don't feel like praying and we don't feel like seeking him. Man, we are moved, man. God has saved me. He redeemed me. He delivered. I got to live for his glory. I've got to live for his honor. That is having the same. That is having unity of mind, unity of heart, unity of judgment. Have the same mind. We've got to have the same values. Foundationally, we have to be unified around what? We've got to be unified around the cross. We've got to be unified around the cross. We have to be unified around the resurrection of Jesus. Listen, not just that Jesus died, but that he rose again. Not just that he died for our sins, but he rose again for our justification. He rose again to give us new life, to empower us to live holy unto him. Come on. We have a unified mission, or should I say we have a, when we're unified around the cross, when we're unified around the resurrection, that will lead us into a unified mission and keep us unified in mind and judgment. 
So while the world is trying to say that we need to be focused on this and we need to be focused on that, God is saying, no, 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 you need to be focused on this. What is the, what is the main thing that we should be doing in our world? What is the main thing that we should be doing as a church? Just think about that for a moment. What is the main thing that we should be doing in our world? Should we be feeding people who are hungry? Is that, is that the main thing we should be doing? Should we, should we, should we be clothing those who, who, who don't have clothing? Should we be making, having, making sure there's shelters for those? Um, I mean, should we be going over, overseas in places that don't have clean water? Should we be making water, you know, cisterns and making things happen? for the, should we, I think we should be doing some of that stuff for sure. But that's not the main thing. The main thing is that we are going to, and we're going to see this at the, toward the end of this, the main thing is we should be out there as proclaimers of the gospel. Listen to me, church. We have been called to bring spiritual solutions to the lives of those who are lost and bound in sin. Are you here? Our main thing is this gospel message. If you go read through the book of Acts, listen, we've been in the book of Acts. I hope you've been in the book of Acts this year. In the book of Acts, you're going to see what they are doing. It is not to discount. Don't get it twisted. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be feeding. We shouldn't be clothing. We shouldn't be serving. We shouldn't be helped. No, because James says what? He says pure and undefiled religion. He talks to us about that. And he says that we take care of the widows and the orphans and that we stay what? That we stay undefiled of the world. See, see, a lot of times we focus on taking care of the widows and the orphans, but we forget about staying undefiled from the world. See, while we are in the midst of all of the helping and doing those things, we are proclaiming the gospel, but we are not being contaminated by the world. We are living for the glory and for the honor of the one who died and rose for us, and we stay there. And here's what I would say in this very moment in which we're living the church in a big way, has grown soft on sin. We don't want to offend people. We don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. We don't, we don't, we don't want to tell somebody they can't live like that anymore. We don't want to tell somebody, man, you, you can't think like that anymore. You're not entitled to your own opinions when God's word says something else. We don't want to tell anybody that. You don't want to hear that. Come on now. Because if we're honest about it, we are our own gods. We are the one who determine what we're going to do, when we're going to do it, how we're going to do it. You don't tell me when I can do this or that or the next thing. When was the last, let me, let me ask you this, when was the last time you prayed about that vacation? Nobody prays about vacation. Lord, can I go on vacation? No, no, nobody prays about that. Lord, can I do, nobody asks the Lord about any of that kind of stuff. Why? Because I make my decisions, don't you? It's your life, isn't it? Oh, y'all quiet today. Y'all don't want to hear me. I know, I know you don't. It's okay. You've been, you've been saving up for that vacation. You've been waiting for that thing to go and do that. Yeah, me too. I know all about that. But when was the last time that we started seeking the Lord about those types of decisions in our lives? We started seeking him about what we're, how we are living, what we are going to do, where we're going to live. When are we seeking him about that? Some of you know this, and in, in, in the beginning of the year, we're going to go through this together as a church, but experiencing God, one of the most important things is what? Is before you do anything else, make sure you're following his direction. Make sure you're following his guidance. Make sure you're following his will and his wisdom. That's what we should be doing. But we in this day, we need, listen, we've been conditioned by the PC culture, right? We don't, we don't want to hear, we, 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 don't want it. we don't want nobody to get in our business, we, we, we want to come to church, give some money, maybe. Come on. We want, we want to walk out the back door, right? 
high-five the pastor. Hey, God bless you right now. I'm gonna, well, Miss D, she doesn't high-five. She shakes hands. Glory to God. She's a lady. Amen. She let me know that, right? So, <laughs> amen, amen. She got me right. She said, Bishop, I don't high-five. I said, amen. Praise the Lord. But you want to live your life. And see, this is what we believe. This is what we think. We think, you think this. Why I don't think this. You hear me right now. You know I don't think this. But you're out there in this world. You don't want to offend your coworkers. You don't want to offend your neighbors. You don't want to offend your family members. Ooh, can I say that? Mm. Should I say that? I don't, I don't know. Oh, I might lose my job. I don't, oh, wait a second. Wait, wait, wait. Are you called to be light in the midst of darkness? putting a shade on the light, <laughs> bringing the light down as low as you can, hoping you can see enough for yourself. We're supposed to be the light that shines brightly. But this PC culture has told us, man, you can't tell somebody how to think. What? Wait a second. God's word is all about telling you how to think. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. The way that you think has to be changed and transformed. Conform to God's word. Christ-centered values. we got to have Christ-centered values. If we're going to be a church that's going to be spiritual, a church is going to make an impact. Christ-centered values are developed. Check me out. Christ-centered values are developed within a Christ-centered community that holds God's word as the highest standard and authority. Are you here? Listen, this doesn't just happen by yourself with you and Jesus. I know, I know some of us, like, we, we want to believe that, Right? Like, hey, man, I just need to have a relationship, me and Jesus, and we're good, and I have my Bible, and I'm going to be with him. And wait a second, that's not what God has called us to, because if you're in your Bible and you're in your word, you should be coming across plenty of scripture that teaches you how you need community. If you're reading this Bible, you're learning about the way, everything he's talking about is how community interacts. That's what he's talking about. Didn't he? he said, someone from Chloe's house has told me about your guys' arguments. <laughs> it's tough. It's tough. Community. Y'all got communal issues. Y'all are arguing. Y'all are at each other's throats because of stuff. But what you need is you need community that is Christ-centered, that holds God's word as the highest authority. When anything or anyone else is allowed to have the final word in our lives, our unity in mind, judgment, and mission will be hindered. Whenever anything or anyone else is allowed to have the final word in our lives, our unity and mind, judgment, and mission will be hindered. That's the reason why we need Christ-centered community. That's the reason why we need to be in relationship with other brothers and sisters in Christ who are speaking into our lives, who, who we have allowed. Listen, because you got to let me speak who we have allowed to speak into my life, who we have allowed to say, you know what, I want you to let me know when I'm off. I want you to let me know when I'm not walking in alignment with truth. I want you to speak into my life. Help me to live for God's glory. Not acting like you got it all together. Listen, I know all about that. When I first became a Christian, man, let me tell you something. I got radically saved. Jesus led me. I mean, Jesus rocked me. Turned me to himself. Had me in his word. Man, every time we went to a Bible study, I had the answers. Come on now. <clears throat> I was every Bible teacher's favorite person and the same annoyance at the same time, right? I was that guy that everybody, that, listen, you didn't have to wait for someone to give an answer because you knew Jason was going to say, hey, I know because I was reading that. Man, let me tell you something. I still need a community in my life. I still needed people to help knock the chip off my shoulder. Come on now. 
I still needed people to help me know, man, you may be praying, you may be reading God's word, but you got to slow down, man. You, got, you have some issues that you're dealing with, some issues that you're, that, that you're fighting with. Just because you pray about this and pray about just because you're in, no, 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 wait a second. You still need community. It's not just you and Jesus. Hello. It's each other, and, and, and we need to know because there's other people that they see things we don't see. And God has them there to help us see what we don't see. To, to, to be in our blind spots. The things, because you know what, every, you know, you, you, you looking good, right? You look in the mirror, right? You look, you look at everything you can see. Come on. <laughs> you, have, you ever come out of the mirror and not see something and someone else see it? Right? You thought you were looking good. You bought that brand new shirt and you didn't realize there was a sticker that was right there in the back. And you walking around, everybody knows your size now because this sticker is right there, Right? <laughs> You didn't see it. You thought you saw everything, but someone else saw something else. Well, we're in community. What happens is people see things we don't see. They're praying for us. They're encouraging us. They're hearing us, and they're able to speak into our lives. The second thing that I ask you to repeat after me is they say, our identity must be Christ-centered. Our identity must be Christ-centered. We need to have this community, but our identity must be Christ-centered. Look at verse 12. And so after the Apostle Paul already communicates with them that there's some contentions, he goes, goes ahead and he starts to unpack for them what these contentions are about. He says, now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Huh. As the church, we have to ensure that our identity is tied to Christ above and before anything else. Are you here? Before anything else, our identity has to be tied to Christ. Our identity has to be in him. And Paul rebukes them because they were seemingly spiritual, right? Oh, I'm of Paul. Paul is my teacher. Oh, no, no, no. I am of Apollos. That powerful teacher you see him in the book of Acts, he was powerful. No, 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 no. Wait, Psh, Paul, Apollos, yeah, I am of Cephas. You know Peter, the rock upon which I'm going to build my church. And then, <laughs> and then, Psh, Paul, Apollos, Cephas, Psh, I am of Christ. So you would think the I am of Christ would be cool, right? Because, oh, you're a follower of Christ. No, no. What that person was saying is, I don't follow none of those, world, those, 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 those teachers in this world. I follow the teacher. Paul says, man, you got some issues. Your identity is not tied to Christ. So here's what you got to realize, that long before denominations, long before theological systems and the like, the enemy has been seeking to divide the church to hinder what? Our unity of devotion and our unity of mission. That's what it is, to get us off track. To do what? To get us arguing. Oh, no, Paul said this. Oh, no, Apollos said this. Oh, no, Cephas said this. Well, Jesus said this. Okay. Then you bring it to, you know, today. Well, Bishop said this when he was preaching. Oh, no, Jonathan said that when he was preaching. Oh, no, Pastor Aldo said that when he was preaching. Oh, no, this one said this. when. Wait a second. We get all confused. And Paul is saying, listen, you guys need to be unified in one mind. And see, here's the, here's the thing that's really terrible, is that not much has changed since then. Not much has changed since then. And listen, some of y'all are going to get mad at me right now, but it's okay. I'm sure you got mad a little while ago also, but check it out. When I don't preach, right, 
Some of y'all know when I don't preach. And some of y'all be like, who's preaching? Mm-hmm. 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 You know why I don't tell anybody when I'm not preaching? Because I don't want you to not come to church. Come on now. Our oh, bishop's not preaching. I gotta... No, yes, you do. We have prayed about, right? I have, I have, I have invited people to come and speak <laughs> that, I, that I believe that they're going to speak from God's word. And they're going to speak to the church. <laughs> but listen, it's not about a personality. But churches in these days, churches are still the same way back then, still built around personality. Still built around, well, this, I like the way this, this one preaching, I ain't going to be there for him. I don't, I don't like that guy. Yeah, I don't, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to hear him. I've heard him before. I don't like his politics. Forget what God's word said. Forget, forget about the scriptures they're bringing home. Forget about God's word that is clear and true. I don't, he, he's a Democrat. I don't like him. He's a Republican. I don't like him. Hold on a second. Who, who are you? Who am I to decide who I want to hear from who I don't want to hear from? If we're, if we're talking about heresy, shut them up. If we're talking about false teaching, listen, let me know. The, 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 when I bring a false teacher here, you let me know. I'll be sure to never bring them back again. As a matter of fact, you ain't even got to tell me because they ain't coming back again. Listen, I made mistakes, and, and I, that, that's the reason why I'm very selective with whoever I bring up on this pulpit to preach. Because I've made those mistakes in the past. I've let people get up here and speak ways that they shouldn't speak and say things they shouldn't say. Guess what? You get one chance and you out. And now you don't even get one chance because I'm going to hear you before I bring you up. Amen. <clears throat> but here's the thing. We, can't, we as pastors, and this is for us as leaders, we got to make sure that we don't feed the ego. Right? Because, you know, we, 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 we can easily want the ego stroked, Right? Oh, yeah, I love, I, I love it when Bishop preaches. Do you for real? Because I preach a long time. Come on now. <laughs> Y'all are like, man, bring them other guys. They just take 40 minutes and they're done. I get to lunch earlier, glory to God. <laughs> but we hear, right? We, 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 we as pastors have to be sure that we're not, I'm not the guru. I'm not the guy with all the answers. Oh, yeah, I study the scriptures. Oh, yeah, I read the Bible. Oh, yeah, I pray and I seek the Lord. And if you ask me a question, I know the answer. I'm going to seek an answer. And if you ask me a question, I might know that I'm going to answer that thing. But I am not the man. There is one that is the man. And we as pastors got to be sure that we point people to Christ, that we're pointing people to him because a church whose identity is firmly placed in Christ will not be divided in its devotion. See, when we are a church that our identity is firmly in Christ, we will not be divided in devotion. We will not be shaken in tribulation. Are you here? When we are a church who our identity is in Christ, when hardship comes, when difficulty comes, we are not going to be shaken. We are not going to be tossed around by false doctrine because what? Because our identity is in Christ. But we will be what? When we are a church that our identity is in Christ, we will be a church that is a mighty vessel used of God to extend his kingdom in the earth. That's what I want us to be. I want us to be a church whose identity is in Christ firmly. So that way we can extend the kingdom of God in this earth. So that way we're not like what we looked at earlier. Places that have markers of where God once was, but he is no longer. 
I want us to be a church that makes that kind of impact. The third thing that I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, our mission, our mission. must be Christ-centered. Our mission must be Christ-centered. Verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beside, I do not know whether I baptized any other. And verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. The church of Corinth had fallen into this carnal entrapment. They were divided. They divided themselves into these personality factions as we just talked about. I'm a Paul. I'm of Apollos. And it could have been that those people actually baptized them, which made them feel like they had some kind of devotion to them. The Apostle Paul explodes those ideas by addressing his mission. And when he talks about his mission, he's making clear what our mission is as the church. And so here's the thing I want you to see. First of all, and I want to answer this question, does baptism matter? Of course, baptism matters. When we look at this, the Apostle Paul, he can, you can read it and you can be like, oh, well, he doesn't really, really care much about baptism. He says God didn't send him to baptize. That doesn't mean that baptism wasn't important. Baptism matters. It doesn't matter so much who baptized you. Are you here? Whenever, whenever we do baptisms here, you know, at, in, in the beach, Pastor Aldo and I, we go out there together because we're in the ocean. We don't want anybody to drown. Amen. So we team up on the baptisms that are there. And if someone else is going to help us baptize, they're going to help us baptize. But when we're in the water, in a pool or something like that, it's usually one of us that goes in there and does the baptisms. But it's not about us baptizing you. It's not about who baptizes you. Baptism is what? Baptism is that, that, that identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But here's what we have to understand is that the mission of the church isn't to baptize people. Are you here? The mission of the church is not to baptize people. Now, let me pause and say this because I think that this is extremely important. That does not mean that baptism doesn't matter. Amen? Amen. Baptism matters. That is, that is part of what should happen is when I put my faith in Jesus Christ, the next step that I should take is that I should be baptized. Why? Because I'm saying I'm identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Amen. Baptism matters. Baptism is something that is important. I want to see more baptisms this year than any other year that we've ever had. That is my prayer, is, is that we would, as a church, collectively be so given to the mission of God that we would be reaching people with the gospel, that people would be coming to faith in Christ, and that they'd be saying, yes, Lord, I want to not just be baptized, but I want to live for your glory. That's my prayer. That's my hope, is that we would be a church that is given to the mission and listen, not that I'm baptizing people. I mean, you look at the scriptures. What did Philip do? Philip ran up on this Ethiopian. He talked to him there, and all of a sudden, the Ethiopian came on water. They had a whole conversation about the gospel, came around to the topic of baptism. The Ethiopian was like, well, what hinders me? He's like, do you believe? Yes, I believe. Well, let's go down here in this puddle. Let's get baptized. It wasn't necessarily a puddle, obviously. Hello. But ultimately, he got it. He, Philip did it, and then all of a sudden, Philip disappeared, and he finds himself somewhere else. Crazy, right? Ethiopian was like, what just happened? <laughs> Philip's like, what just happened? Nobody knew, but he obeyed and God did something mighty. So what am I saying here? What I'm saying is that God can use you 
to minister the gospel to someone. And then don't wait for baptism Sunday. Don't wait for the beach baptism. Man, if you're ministering to someone, and y'all come up on a pool, hey, and, they, and listen, I'm not talking about having a casual conversation. I'm talking about somebody who you're really ministering the gospel to. And you guys come to a place and they're like, yes, I'm ready to make a commitment to the Lord. Man, you can do, you can do it. You are a minister of the gospel. You don't have to wait for somebody super spiritual. Hello. I'm just saying. Now, listen, don't take that the other way. Like, hey, I can just go baptizing people. Wait a second. I just said, like, this per- the Ethiopian, they walked through the scriptures. He was clear on what it meant to be, you know, someone who given his life to the Lord. This Ethiopian was devoted. I'm not just talking about somebody who wants to be dunked underwater. I'm talking about someone who was really given to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Are you here? What I'm saying is, church, you need to be on mission, and you need to know that God wants to use you in greater ways than you even realize. The Apostle Paul, he goes on, and he communicates this, how important this is. The mission of the church is what? Is to make disciples. Say it with me. The mission of the church, the of the church is to make disciples. make disciples. Look at your neighbor. Say, neighbor, neighbor. your mission, your mission is, to is to make disciples. Say, yours too. Your mission, your mandate is to make disciples. You are called by God to make disciples. That means you are called to share this gospel. That means you are called to help someone grow in their faith. That means that you are called to be that person who is given to the mission that God has called the church to be part of. It's not just the pastor's. Not just the bishops, not just the ministers, job to make disciples. It is our job, it is our collective responsibility to make disciples. But let me say this, apart from the gospel, discipleship is impossible. Apart from the gospel, look at what the Apostle Paul said in verse 17. He said, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. He had been called to preach the gospel. The gospel is the life, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The gospel is that we are all sinners who fall short of the glory of God, that every one of us is rebels in our hearts against God. That every one of us by ourselves are haters of God. The gospel is this, is that Jesus did not leave us in our rebellion, but he came on a rescue mission. He died for us so that way we could exchange our rebellious life with a renewed life, that we could exchange our life of hatred of God to now a life that loves God. Jesus came to die and rescue us from our sin, to do for us what we could never, ever do for ourselves. He came to give us a new identity to call us sons and daughters. Jesus did this. This is the gospel. And without the gospel, we cannot make disciples. We can't. Listen, church, we have to be given to preaching the gospel in our behavior, but also with our words. It's not enough just to live a good life. Hear me now. Your life, remember we talked about it earlier, my life is a testimony 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ. My life is a testimony of what Christ has done. My life testifies to that. But here's the thing. Just because my life testifies to that and I know that, other people don't necessarily know that. They may just think I'm just being a good person. That is where the proclamation of the gospel comes in. Listen, you may not be a, a, a great orator. You may not be, feel like you're a great preacher or whatever the case is. And listen, not everybody's called to be a preacher. But every one of us is called to be proclaimers of the gospel. Every one of us is called to be proclaimers of the gospel. I'll say it again. Apart from the gospel, discipleship is impossible. What makes a disciple? The gospel. What keeps a disciple? The gospel. What is it that builds a disciple? The gospel. Nothing deeper than the gospel. You read the text of scripture as you go. You know what you see from the Old Testament to New? The gospel. You see this amazing God that is holy and righteous who has people who have rebelled against him after generation after generation and yet this God in his mercy comes to rescue. That is the gospel. That is what keeps us and that's what keeps us growing. Our mission is to make Christ known. It's to make much of Christ wherever we go and whatever we do. This is accomplished by committing to preaching the gospel in word and in deed. And I'm getting ready to close and here's my closing question for you guys. Are you Christ-centered in your values, in your identity, and in your mission? Are you Christ-centered in your values, in your identity, and in your mission? Or let me say the question another way. Does the gospel dominate your life? Does the gospel dominate your life? What does it look like to have a life that is dominated by the gospel? It's living a life where I am living, where I recognize just what I said a moment ago, what we're going to look at when we partake of communion, that man, apart from God, I'm lost. Apart from his grace, I'm nothing. Apart from his mercy, I am wretched. You see, when I live a life that's dominated by the gospel, I realize that I have died with Christ. See, a life dominated by the gospel, you thought I was joking earlier when I'm talking about your vacations. A life dominated by the gospel, you know what it does? It takes all of my life into consideration before the Lord. And it really says, God, my life is not my life. Listen, I know one pastor, him and his wife, they were saving up money for something. I don't remember what it was exactly. And then God called him to write a book. And they, they had a couple of grand in the bank uh, uh, that, that was enough for him to write and publish this book on his own. He felt like the Lord had called him to do it. Listen, they saved up all that money. You can imagine, all of you that are married right now, you're thinking about this, what I'm saying. You saved up all of that money together for this dream thing, whatever it was. And then there comes a moment that God says, you know what, I want that money for something else. Is your life yours or does it belong to him? See, that, see, see, for some of you, this is like really radical. But this is what it means to live a life dominated by the gospel. It's saying not just 10% of my money belongs to God, 100% of my money belongs to God. All of my life belongs to God. Not just Sunday morning for an hour and a half, two hours, depending on how long the pastor preached. Come on now. My life belongs to God every day of the week because my life is dominated by the fact that I, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. You see, what, what God is calling us to do is to be a people whose lives are dominated by the gospel. Not just the preaching of it, but the living of it. Saying, wait a second, my life is not mine. I can't, I can't keep living in sin the way that I have. I can't keep thinking 
the way that I've been thinking. I can't maintain the attitudes that I've been having. Why? Because no longer I who lives, it's Christ who lives in me. A life dominated by the gospel lives to share this life with others. Lives to share this life with all of those that they come in contact with. A life dominated by the gospel is a life that wakes up, listen, and not because you wake up every day. There's plenty of mornings I wake up saying, man, I need another hour. I don't even want to wake up today. This whole last week I've been sick. I'm like, man, I, I don't think I've slept so much in like who knows how long. Just trying to deal with what I was feeling. But man, I can tell you what. In those moments that I was awake, I was thinking about my Lord. Those moments I was awake, I was thinking about my God, my Savior. I was, I was, I was grateful for the moments that we could have in worship. I don't have any opportunities to share the gospel this week, but nonetheless, here's the thing that I'm saying. I want to live a life that is dominated by the gospel. And my hope is that as we look through the book of 1 Corinthians together, and as we walk through these texts of scripture, that we would say, Lord, I want to live a life that is dominated by the gospel. So I'm going to ask you to just bow your heads right where you are, please. I'm going to read this verse. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. A life dominated by the gospel is a life that lives in that fellowship. And here's what I want you to think about. Fellowship is not just relationship, it's partnership. It's not just knowing him, it's not just worshiping him, it's walking with him, working with him. That is what this fellowship is. He hasn't just called you to know him personally. He's called you to walk with him intimately, but he's also called you to walk with him on purpose in his will. And so I'm going to pray. <clears throat> now ask our prayer team to come forward if you would, please. want us to take a moment and just humble ourselves before the Lord. Maybe you're in here and you say, Lord, my life is not dominated by the gospel, but I want it to be. My life is not being lived fully and completely for your glory and your glory alone. And you need to come up here and have somebody pray with you. Have somebody lay, lay hands on you and pray with you and intercede for you in this moment. Maybe you're in here and you realize your values aren't Christ-centered. Maybe you realize your identity is not Christ-centered. Maybe you realize that your mission isn't Christ-centered. I don't know how God spoke to you today, but maybe, maybe you need prayer this morning. And so I'm going to ask you in, in this place, if you would, everybody, just stand to your feet, please. And let us, let us worship the Lord together. And if you need prayer, this altar is open. God is here in this place, and we're here. We want to pray for you. So if you need to come forward for prayer, you can come forward for prayer. Our prayer team will pray with you. Hallelujah. There is a king seated among us. Let every heart receive him. Where there is praise, 
every burden will be lifted in his presence yes and every trophy will be laid down at his feet there is a name that reigns above all others jesus christ the king above 